Thank you for listening to this sermon from Renaissance Church located in Montreal, Quebec. For more information about Renaissance Church, please visit our website, renaissancemtl.com. If you would like to know more about how you can partner up to see the gospel advance in Montreal, please send us an email at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com. Good to be with you guys here today. If you are new, my name is Graham. If I haven't met you, I'd love to connect with you after service. Uh, if you'd come and introduce yourself. Again, we're going to be having a members gathering and uh, sharing a meal together. So come sit with me and I'd love to eat a meal with you. Um, before we begin, let's begin with a word uh, of prayer here. Um, Father, we thank you that we can be here today gathered uh, as your church. God, would you unite us? Uh, uh, would we just have hearts uh, that are uh, of same accord, that we would just be in line with your will for our lives? Would we um, just have hearts of, of gratitude for all that you've done for us? Uh, would we just delight in the mercy and the grace that you've given to us? And uh, would we just reflect on, on that today as we read your word? Love you. Praise in your name. Amen. All right, some of you may know this already, um, but last week, uh, my wife, Melissa, she's in the back, but she got uh, LASIK eye surgery done. Me and, my, me and Skylar, she kept calling it laser eye surgery, so we kind of kept joking that she had lasers that she could shoot out of her eyes. She's like, pew, pew. Um, that's not what happened. Uh, but she had, so she had this procedure done to correct her vision. There wasn't anything like major wrong with her eyes, but like many people, she needed contacts and, and glasses in order to see. And so she went through this corrective procedure so she could see without any, uh, any help with, with contacts or glasses. Uh, so you guys are all aware everything went well. She's recovered, she, no complications or anything, all is well. You can clap for that. It's not like a complicated procedure, <laughs> like everything was going to go well. So anyway, um, but if you have not been around for a while, you may not know this about me, but I had the same procedure done about three or four years ago as well. Um, I got LASIK because my eyesight was awful. It was horrendous. Um, so without glasses, I would have to read with book, with like the book inches from my face. I had these incredibly thick lenses on my glasses. They were so thick that the style of glasses that I could choose was super, super limited. Um, and so I didn't love wearing glasses. I didn't think they looked nice on me. I just, they were these clunky things and whatever. So I, I did not like them. Contacts, you know, contacts are fine, but anyone who has contacts, you kind of know that they sometimes shift around in your eyes, your eyes dry out, all that kind of stuff. And you can't have them in all the time, too. You can't sleep with them in. And so we decided we were going to make uh, the decision to, uh, to get the surgery done for me at that point. And I'll say this. When you go from having the limited vision that I had to be able to see perfectly, it's, it's really like a miracle is taking place. I'm not being hyperbolic there. I remember like waking up the next day and opening my eyes for the first time in the morning. I didn't have to reach for, for glasses anymore, um, but I would wake up to, to clear vision all around the room. It's literally life-changing, um, right? Like I could see everything. I didn't have those clunky glasses anymore. There's no 
contact shifting around in my eyes. And, and so because of this huge change in my life, I felt an enormous amount of gratitude. Right? There, there had been a drastic change in my life. And so I was able to appreciate life in a whole new way. And, and I mention that because that's a little bit of what we're talking about today. We're talking about having gratitude towards God for what he has done for us. And, and what we're going to see is that gratitude comes, gratitude to God comes from delighting in his generous grace. Gratitude to God comes from delighting in his generous grace. It's by recognizing how much that we have received from him and delighting in his generosity that we will live lives of gratitude. So today, uh, we're continuing in our series in the book of Matthew. If you're not familiar, Matthew is a New Testament book, and it goes through the life of Jesus. There's a central theme that kind of runs through this book, and that is that Jesus is king, right? Jesus is king. He's the true king of Israel. He is God come to earth. And Jesus' main message throughout this book is that the kingdom of God is at hand. Kingdom of God is a hand. That means that God was going to, to come and rule. What we see, though, is that Jesus' rule, it takes place in a very different way than we would expect. Right? So many people in that day, they expected Jesus to come and to destroy all of his enemies. They, that, they thought the Christ is going to come just defeat all of Israel's enemies, that he was going to come and take over the earthly rule of Israel. And But what we've been seeing throughout this book and this series is that the rule of Jesus looks a little bit different. We see that the power of God work in people's lives as they follow Jesus, and their lives are transformed. And it's not always that their immediate surroundings are improved, but that they are transformed from the inside out. And, and having this transformed life, they then begin to delight in the things that God loves rather than the things of this world. So the last couple of weeks, we've been seeing as Jesus is getting closer and closer to Jerusalem. So he goes, uh, uh, he goes on uh, this journey kind of throughout a, a number of different uh, cities around Israel. And he comes back, he comes down from Galilee, and he's coming towards Jerusalem where he's eventually going to be crucified. And so there's a tension that's starting to, to build here. We're beginning to see the, the rejection that Jesus is starting to face. So the religious leaders of that day, they're upset with him. Uh, the crowds that are kind of, they're, they're following him, they don't actually really understand who he is. And, and again, many were expecting the Christ to come and overthrow the occupying forces of Rome in that day. And what we see is that's not exactly who Jesus came to be. Jesus came to rule in our hearts and in our lives. And so uh, we see as Jesus doesn't meet everyone's expectations that this tension is, is continuing to build. And so we're going to explore that a little bit more today. Let's begin by reading our text for today. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 20. Uh, Matthew chapter 20 is where we're going to be. So if you have a Bible, I would invite you to follow along. If you don't have a Bible, on the welcome table where you came in, there's, uh, there should be a number of, of Bibles there. You can uh, grab one of those. And if you don't own a Bible, just take one of those. That's our gift to you. Um, so again, Matthew chapter 20 is where we're going to be. And we're going to begin in verse 1. 
So this, this is Jesus speaking. It begins with the words of Jesus. He says this. He says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And, and to them he said, You go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, He said, Call the laborers. Pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These, wor- these last only worked an hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the the, the burden of the day and the scorching heat? But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do, or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside, and on the way he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? She said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. Jesus answered, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, we are able. He said to them, you will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And as they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. 
And Jesus in pity touched their eyes, and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. All right, a lot there. Let's dive right in. Um, as we, we just read, our, our, so our text today begins with Jesus sharing this parable. Right, so the, there's a parable that he shares. The parable begins as many of Jesus' parables do. It begins by him saying, the kingdom of heaven is like... Remember, we see that uh, in, in chapter 13 where Jesus shared a number of different parables to the, the crowds. They all began with that same phrase, the kingdom of heaven is like. And so this parable is not just meant as a story about uh, workers in a vineyard. No, it is much more than that. It is meant to show us a greater spiritual reality. And so I want us to, to explore what that is. So in this parable, right, there's a master who owns a vineyard, okay, and he, he gets up early, he hires some laborers to work in his field, and so they agree to work for a denarius, that's what it says. So if you're not familiar, a denarius is the equivalent of a day's wage. So they agree, this is something they agree even before they, they begin their work, they say, we're willing to work for a day's wage, that's what's, what's offered, and that's what, they, um, that's what they accept. Now, throughout the day, the, what we see is the, the master, he goes into the market, and he sees a bunch of people standing by, and they're not doing anything. And he offers them the same. He says they can come, and they can work for him, and he's going to pay them for their work. And so he goes out at the sixth hour, the ninth hour, and again at the eleventh hour, and he finds uh, more laborers to work in his vineyard. Just to, to clarify something here quick. So the times that we see in this parable, um, if they're a little bit confusing, they don't co correspond to like our 24-hour clock. These would be different times. When it says the sixth hour, it does not mean six o'clock. Um, the sixth hour would be noon. Uh, the ninth hour would be 3 p.m. And the 11th, 5 p.m. So at each of these times, uh, the, the master goes out and he looks for workers to hire. And at the end of the day, he brings them all around and so that he can pay them. And he starts with the workers who come last. What do they get? Right, they get a denarius. They get a full day's wage, even though they only came at the very end. And so you say, wow, like that's incredibly generous, right? And that's, that's what the, the workers here must be thinking. They didn't work all day, yet they got more than what they deserve. And so the workers who came early, they think, well, if that's the case, right, we will probably get more too. And so it comes to their turn uh, to receive their wages. And what do they get? They get the same. They get uh, a denarius, a, a day's wage. Um, that, that's what they had agreed on at the beginning. And so they get angry at the master, right? They say, how could you give them as much as us? We worked all day. We labored in the sun all day. These workers came at the very end. They didn't do nearly as much, and yet they get the same wage as we do. How is that even fair? And so they grumble at the master, and the master tells them, can I not do what I want with my own money? You agreed to a day's wage. Therefore, I am not in the wrong here. And he ends by saying, he says, the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. All right, that's essentially the, the parable here. What's happening in this story, though? 
So this story, again, it's obviously more than just a master giving wages to his labors. As Jesus says at the beginning of the parable, this is about the kingdom of God. And so this is telling us about spiritual realities. Let's look a little bit closer at what it's saying. The master in this story, who, who can we compare this to? This is probably not too difficult. Um, this shows us truths about who God is, right? What does this tell us about God then? Well, it tells us a few things. First, we see that God seeks out labors for his kingdom. God seeks out labors for his kingdom. So the master in this story, he heads out numerous different times during the day looking for those to join in the kingdom work. We see that this is what God does. He seeks out those to follow him. One of the parables that we've discussed lately compares God to a shepherd that goes to seek after a lost sheep. And also in, in Luke 19.10 it says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And so wherever you're at today, know that God is pursuing you. He's, he's seeking you. He longs to have a relationship with you if you will turn and follow him. Our God pursues sinners and he seeks out laborers for his kingdom. Next, what do we see? We see in God's kingdom, our lives have purpose. In God's kingdom, our lives have purpose. I want us to notice something here. What are the laborers doing before the master comes? What does it say of them? It says that they were standing idle. They were not doing anything. They, they, their lives had no purpose. They're standing in the middle of, of a marketplace, the place where people buy and they sell, and they're waiting for someone to hire them. And the master brings them into a purposeful life. And so likewise, God calls us into a purposeful life as he invites us into the kingdom of God. God brings us from spiritual death to spiritual life as he calls us out of idle lives and into purposeful lives once we belong to his kingdom. This means that the life of a follower of Jesus isn't just a one-time commitment and you're done. You, you don't get to just claim the name Christian and then kind of just forget about it. The life of a Christian is a purpose-filled life Daily surrendering to the will of God for your life because that's where the most purpose is found. In God's will, not in our own. So in God's kingdom, our lives have purpose. We also see the generosity of God. We see that for those who only labored for an hour, they receive much more than they deserve. They receive a full day's wage. And this explains the mercy of God towards us as believers that we don't deserve it, but God is generous with the grace that he gives us. Scripture tells us that we deserve, what we deserve for our sin is eternal separation from the love of God. Our sin makes us enemies with God, and it is fair and right for, God, for, for us to, to face the wrath of God. And yet, through faith in Jesus, we get much more than we deserve. Romans uh, 6.23, it says, For the wages of sin is death. Then it says, But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What are we seeing here then? We're seeing a, a gracious God that pours out his mercy on us, a God that loves us so much more than we ever deserve. 
a loving God that sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. A king who died so the rebels could have life. And that is so much more than we deserve. And understanding this is the key to living lives of gratitude. And yet, despite God's generosity, the picture we get of the laborers is that they are ungrateful. They're unsatisfied with what they received, even though they agreed to it. They are characterized by jealousy. They are upset with God because of his generosity towards others. They're entitled. They think that they're owed what rightfully belongs to the master. Their worth is in what they've done rather in the goodness of the master. Now, as I was reading this this week, I was reminded of another parable. Uh, I was reminded of the parable of the prodigal son. Some of you guys might be familiar with this. I'm going to share a little bit about it um, to show us a, a few similarities here. So in the story of the prodigal son, uh, there are two sons, right? One, uh, one son, he takes uh, his inheritance from the father and he leaves home and he spends it recklessly. He loses everything, right? He squanders everything that he had. And what he ends up, he ends up uh, in this job where he's feeding uh, uh, a bunch of pigs. He's got like this filthy job. Um, and, and yeah, he, it, says, it says that he longed to eat what the, what the pigs were eating. And so he's in this complete state of desperation. So that's son one. And, and he, what happens though is he finally gets enough courage to come back home. And his father sees him coming. And he runs out to greet him. And what does he do? He holds a huge banquet for him to celebrate that he's returned. There's another part of that story, though. Um, there's another son in that story. And this son has stuck with his father his whole life. Right? He's always been obedient. He's worked hard. Um, and, and so when the other, the, the other son comes back and is celebrated, he gets angry. Right? He's furious that they would celebrate his dis this disobedient and foolish brother. This is what it says. It says, but he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who had devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. All right. What is this story about? Again, the story is about two sons and a father. One son who has always obeyed and another son who hasn't. And it's about a generous, loving father and jealousy over the generosity of the father. And in a similar way, that's what we're seeing here, right? We have laborers who came early. They've worked the hardest. They've worked through the heat of the day. They've continued to obey what they're supposed to do. And on the other hand, we have, we have those who arrive late. Some came at the 11th hour. They haven't put in nearly as much work. And yet, we see the generosity of God towards them. What we also see is the jealousy from the obedient labors over the master's generosity. But the fascinating thing about both of these stories is that the generosity of the father, the loving grace that he bestows on his followers, is not based on the work that they've done. 
right? God's generosity towards us isn't based on how hard we've worked or how much we've obeyed. These stories both show us that our relationship with God isn't based on what we do, but on the loving generosity of God. And when we recognize the depth of our sin that we have and what has been uh, forgiven, we begin to see how generous God has actually been to us. So at the, the end of the, the parable here, the master says this. He says, so the last will be first and the first last. This phrase might sound a little bit familiar to us. Where have we heard this before? That, this phrase, the first will be last and the last shall be first. If you call from, recall from last week, uh, David preached for us on uh, Matthew chapter 19. And he taught about the story of the rich young ruler. So uh, I want us to turn back there for just for a minute. And I want us to look at the very end of that story. Uh, what does it say? Verse, verse 30 says this. But many who are, f- who are first will be last and the last first. Okay. Same idea is conveyed in this story. And in fact, if we continue in our passage for, day, for today, we see this idea appears again. Let's look at, at verses 26 to 27 of Matthew 20. This is in the story of the sons of Zebedee. It says, But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Same idea, right? The first will be last, and the last will be first. So I want us to, to take some time and to explore what that means. We have three times Jesus is using this same phrase. And so I think it will be, give us great insight into what the kingdom of God is like as we explore this. So let's look again uh, a little bit back at the story of the rich young ruler. Again, David did a really good job of unpacking this last week. And so we're not going to spend too long here. Um, but just as a little bit of a reminder here, um, in this story... There's a a man who approaches Jesus, and he's described as the rich young ruler. And he asks Jesus, he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says to him, he says, you must keep all the commandments. And he replies, great, I've done all that, right? Uh, All of these I've kept uh, since birth, right? I've kept all of these. What else, though? He says, what do I still lack? And, And Jesus tells him something that makes him very upset. He says, go and sell your possessions, give it to the poor, and come and follow me. And so Jesus challenges this man who thinks he's lived a perfect life to give up what he truly finds his treasure in. His worth is in what he owns. We know that because it says when he heard this, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. So what we see is that all this man's obedience was not out of love. It was to see what more he could get. Right? He wanted to inherit eternal life. He had everything in the world, youth, riches. He was a ruler and still none of that was enough. And so he says himself, he says, what do I still lack? And yet Jesus says, if you want to inherit eternal life, you need to give up what your treasure is here on earth. What is Jesus doing here? Jesus is saying, whatever makes you first in this world is what makes you last in the kingdom of God. If your treasure is in getting ahead in this life, you will not be satisfied in the life to come. Therefore, the first shall be last. Who, who are the first in this story? 
the rich, those with possessions, the influential, the, the rulers, those with power and authority, those who we see in this world as important. And Jesus levels the playing field and says, those who seek these things, who seek riches, influence, power, they are going to be last in the kingdom. Why? Because they're not really seeking what the kingdom of God is about. But then he says this, he says, but those who have left houses or brothers or sisters or father uh, or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. The last will be first. And the picture here is that those who give up the things of the world for the kingdom of God will be graciously provided for. They will be first because they love the things that God loves. God does not care about riches and power and influence as the world sees it. He cares for the lowly and the brokenhearted. He cares for the advancement of the gospel. He cares for the widow and the orphan. And so if that's what you care for, for the, for the sake of Jesus' name, you align yourself with God. The last will be first in the kingdom of God. We often say here at Renaissance, the gospel impacts every aspect of our lives. And that means that all areas of our life are broken. But through faith in Jesus, God is redeeming all aspects of our life. God is, is redeeming every area of our life. There are no areas of our life that we say, I'm going to hang on to this. Right? God, you can have everything that's easy to let go. And I'll, I'm going to keep the rest. No, we are willing to let go of everything to follow Jesus. Our way of living, our homes, our possessions, our influence, our social status, everything. The more you are willing to give up for Jesus, the greater your reward. Because the greater your delight will be in Jesus. If you've tasted the goodness of God by putting your faith in Jesus, reflect on how good that is and seek more of him by being willing to give up your ways and invest in his kingdom. True faith in Jesus is recognizing that the things that seem to have worth in this world are not worth pursuing. But rather, true treasure is in seeking what God loves and willing to sacrifice earthly pleasures and status for the joy of following Jesus. And so in God's kingdom, those who seek what the world sees as important will be last. But those who are willing to give up everything for Jesus' sake will be first. All right, moving forward with our text. Jesus again uses this phrase. He says the first will be last. So let's expand on this idea. Let's look at the, the story of the sons of Zebedee. So sons of Zebedee, there's two sons here. They, they are two disciples of Jesus. Their names are James and John. And their mother asks Jesus a question. She says, in your kingdom, say that my sons are to sit at your right hand and at your left. What does she think that she's asking? She wants her sons to rule with Jesus, right? She wants them to have the most authority in heaven, second to only Jesus. How does Jesus reply, though? He says, you do not know what you're asking. Lady, we are not talking about the same thing here. Are you sure that's what you want? And there's, there's clearly a disconnect in what, 
what they're talking about, right? They're, they're not on the same page. And we even see this in how the disciples, they get upset with James and John, that the, the disciples aren't on the same page either. They think the same thing. They think that the James and John are, are asking to, to, to rule with authority over everyone. And, and so Jesus says this to his sons. He says, are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? And they say, yes, of course we are able, right? What do they think that they're signing up for? They think that they're signing up to rule with Jesus. They think that they're agreeing to have the most power, the most authority. They're expecting that they will rule over everyone to tell them what to do. And everyone else will be their servants. And that's why the other disciples get mad at them, right? Because they don't want to be their servants. What is Jesus talking about, though? Jesus is not talking about making others serve you. He's talking about serving others. He says, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so we see that in the kingdom of God, to rule like Jesus is to be a servant. In God's kingdom, others' needs come before our own. Those who want to be served by others will be last, but those who are willing to serve will be first. And Jesus shows us in what way he came to serve. He did so by giving up his life as a ransom for many. Jesus was delivered over to the chief priests and scribes. They condemned him to death. He was delivered over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, but he was raised on the third day. And he shows that not even death could hold him. And he gives us his spirit through faith in Jesus, which empowers us to live for his kingdom. This is how he served us. And this is what we are forever indebted to him for. This is why we live lives of gratitude. This is why we don't rely on our own works, but on Jesus alone. The true king serves his people with his life. And so the last being first means that we serve others with the same heart that Jesus serves us with. Not ruling over others by domineering over them, but ruling like King Jesus, self-sacrificially with a servant heart. So we get to the, the, the last section here and we see that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And we're told that as Jesus and the crowds are on their way, uh, there's two blind men. They, they hear that Jesus is coming. And as Jesus approaches, they cry out. They say, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And as they say that, the, the crowds, they begin to hush them. They say, be quiet, right? And the blind men continue crying out the same thing. Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And it says, and Jesus, in pity, touched their eyes, and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. So Jesus has compassion on these two blind men. Let me ask you, why do you think that he has compassion on them? Is it because they're blind? I don't think that's what's going on here. Why does he have compassion on them, though? Because despite their blindness, they see him for who he truly is the son of David, the true king of Israel. And they recognize their desperate need for his mercy. 
and they're rejected by the people because of it. And so Jesus shows that he relates to those who the world rejects. He has compassion for those the world rejects because he was rejected by the world. And he heals these men. It says that they followed him. So church, when your life has been so drastically changed by Jesus, you can't help but follow him. When you recognize Jesus as the king of your life, when you see your need for his mercy, when you cry out to him, God heals you. And so let me urge you to recognize your need for his mercy. For when you do, you will live a life of gratitude by following Jesus. As we wrap up, let me ask you here today. Is your aim to live for the worldly kingdom or for the kingdom of God? In God's kingdom, the first will be last and the last will be first. So what do you need to let go of today that's a hindrance to your relationship with Jesus? What aren't you willing to part with? What is God calling you to let go of for the sake of the kingdom of God? Those who are willing to give up it all will be first in the kingdom of God. But those who cling to the treasures of this world will be like the, like the rich young ruler will be last. And so are you willing to, to serve rather than be served in God's kingdom, that's what it is to rule with Jesus. Today, I would invite you to reflect on the depth of your sin, but also savor the goodness of God. Know how much you have been forgiven. See the generosity of God, the grace that he has shown you, and you will be full of gratitude that nothing in this world can take from you. When your hope is based on what, not what you've done, but what's been done for you, your life will be filled with a deep satisfaction and a joy. A joy that kills jealousy because it recognizes how much has been forgiven and how much generous a God we live for. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to the sermon from Renaissance Church. If you have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more, please feel free to contact us by email at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com or reach out to us on social media. It's our passion to love Jesus, love each other, and love our world.